0: Welcome to another episode of We Are Carbon. I'm Helen Fisher and I'm joined by Cade Frost of Source Bioplastics for a discussion about developing new plastic materials that could move the planet towards a healthier future. It may seem like plastics and healthy can't really go hand in hand, but as one of the world's largest industries, it's something that we can't pretend is going to go away. And with such vast and destructive impact on the planet, that actually makes it one of the biggest opportunities for improvements. Moving from synthetic to bio plastics gives the immediate benefit of reducing dependency on fossil fuels. But there is huge variation within these materials. And if we are to move forward at scale, there's much to be ironed out. Cade had spent years anguished by the issue of plastic pollution, and he recognized that it would take involvement from a full range of interests for real change to happen. He's made an incredible start by successfully developing a rapidly compostable plastic material, made entirely from natural and non-toxic ingredients. I really appreciate the point of view that he brings with regards to understanding the needs of manufacturers, the current limits of disposal facilities, and the expansive potential when we consider moving things to a truly circular economy. I was thrilled that Kate allowed me to scrutinise him with my inquisitive questions around this topic. We discuss everything from the materials themselves, to the impact on society, and even considering whether it's possible for plastics to have a positive impact on the environment. You can keep up to date with everything from We Are Carbon by subscribing over on the website, wearecarbon.earth. Right, let's dive straight into the questions. I'd really be interested, Cade, if you could introduce to us the general differences between the plastics that we're used to and the materials that we're now referring to as bioplastics.
1: Absolutely, Helen, and thank you for having me. Um, That's a great question. So the most significant difference between the most familiar plastics and bioplastics is that the former are usually synthetically manufactured with a base of petroleum, while the latter are plant-based. So, plant-based plastics are likely to decompose a lot faster because they're organic and they decay uh, faster than traditional plastic.
0: Fantastic. So, it's it's really is um, is it straight cut? Are we talking um, one material comes out of the soil, another material is essentially coming out of oils and petroleum and fossil fuels?
1: Well, the the, the base of the polymers are so uh, different different types of. Synthetic plastics and, and regular polymers are are fossil fuel based. But with plant based plastics, um, you're usually talking about starches, you're talking about uh, wheats, you're talking about these things that uh, give the material uh, a density.
0: OK, so it sounds to me like we're talking I mean in my mind two very different materials you're saying something made from wheat something made from starch and then we've got these products that we are so familiar with that are hard dense they melt they're malleable Um, in terms of the applications that they're suitable for can bioplastics potentially replace all or most of our plastic needs.
1: Uh, Eventually, yes. Bioplastics and biopolymers. So they have the potential to replace most of our plastics, but we have some distance to go. Disposable plastics are our biggest concern because most of them are things that are thrown away after a single use. Companies engaged in this business have done a great job in tracing our most commonly used containers. Many products have been replaced, albeit at a really slow rate of adoption. We need more companies that make bioplastics and more companies that adopt them but this is not just a one input, one output solution. Waste management solutions also play a big key role in how we move forward. What people don't realize is that many virgin plastics already have been mixed with bioplastics to reduce the time required for decomposition, which is really important and necessary step. So usually when people hear this next question in most people's minds is, well, why not just use bioplastics and skip the rest, right? One reason for that is manufacturing adoption rate. However, the situation is about to change. C-level executives are paying more attention to sustainable development than ever before. This is unprecedented in the history of plastics. This is a big step forward, but unless there is sufficient supply to meet the needs of these manufacturers, there's no point in changing course if there's insufficient supply. Like anything, a reduction in supply pushes up prices. Understandably, without a reliable supply chain, it's too big of a risk. So the second reason is mainly due to durability. Virgin polymers made from fossil fuels such as petroleum and additives are superior to bioplastics and durability. The third explanation, there's a great deal that goes into plastic, bio or otherwise, than just base polymer. To make bioplastic genuinely compostable and biodegradable, one that can be tossed, let's say, like into a compost heap and not poison the world, so to speak, must be non-toxic and harmless to the ecosystem. That also incorporates a non-toxic, eco-friendly, natural fire retardant, which isn't easy to come by. Polymers are flammable. There have been incredible discoveries and applications of such ingredients like tannic acid and polydopamine. But for all the positives, there's some negatives as well. For instance, polydopamine acts as an antimicrobial barrier, and this is a natural fire retardant which is great for plastic films that are covering foods, for instance, and bioplastic that we want to last longer, but terrible for most other single-use containers. So these types of fire retardants most likely won't work well for most 3D print filament, either because since the future of additive large-scale manufacturing will likely depend on plastics with initiators, since they dry most instantly by UV rays. But natural flame retardant, like polydopamine acts as a UV barrier, does that imply that we'll likely need different grades of 3D fil- filaments Some um, for smaller makers and companies not using large additive manufacturing and others for companies that are? Likely that's going to be the case. It's, it's exciting and it's challenging.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds very complicated um, in terms of the, you know, the, the material properties, the chemicals. Um, are the additives you're referring to there, they're naturally based?
1: Uh, well, at least for source, they are. Um, and, and that's one of our biggest goals, because especially with what's going on with virgin plastics now and the fact that they're mixing bioplastics within them to decompose, that's still, uh, you know, for for us at least, is a big red flag, because obviously you, you can't just throw that into a compost pile and expect it all to break down naturally. Um, so uh, one of our challenges is is making a bioplastic that's completely non-toxic, that is completely eco-friendly and that has no additives whatsoever that can't be broken down and composted uh, alongside, you know, let's say tomatoes and lettuce, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's exactly, uh, you know, in my mind that that sounds almost too good to be true but is precisely what I would think is necessary for our future to be able to implement all of this packaging material, all of these uh, plastics back into the soil, and what you're saying, I suppose, is that that isn't across the board. That isn't you can't just look at bioplastic and expect that to be the case.
1: That is correct, I, and you know, and it's, and I don't know, I, I can't speak for un- other companies. Um, you know, all I can speak for is Source, and and our challenge and our goal is absolutely not having anything in the plastic um, that. One, doesn't biodegrade, and two, could cause any harm in any environment. Yeah. But correct, that's just, it's not, it's, I don't think it's a guarantee across the board, no.
0: No, no, fantastic. And I think this is where uh, this sort of discussion is very important because it's it's not always evident, um, you know, even to myself, I've tried to find this kind of information, and it's not crystal clear, it's not readily available. But if we look at... Um, back to the problem of plastics in their more um, conventional sense for a second. One of the huge benefits across the board is that plastics don't break down. That's the point. That's why we find them so usable. Um, They're going to resist breakdown, but it's also that persistence that is the reason that they're such a pollutant, such a problem in terms of waste. So, If we just sidestep from the bioplastics for a moment, what is the current situation with plastics disposal?
1: (laughs) I'm going to get a little long winded here if I haven't been already. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. So so, uh, based upon 52 peer reviewed studies, almost everyone on earth is consuming a credit card's weight in plastic every week through the air we breathe, the food we eat and the water that we drink via microplastics. So not only is it raining microplastics in dense cities, and it's legitimately raining plastic right now, but microplastics have been found in rainwater in the mountains of Utah, hundreds of miles away from any city. Only 9% of recyclable waste materials are being recycled. Even even when we send all these recyclables to the waste management facilities, only 9% of them are actually being recycled. The other 91% still end up being incinerated in landfills or in our waterways. Our recycling measures are failing when when and if there are recycling measures in place. And where there are not, municipalities are burning plastics. And what they're doing with that is some of them are actually turning that energy into turning it on into their energy grids to power homes. But it's it's between the them being able to transport those materials over to an incinerator, uh, plus pump that energy out, it's, it creates a lot of greenhouse gases. So that causes massive greenhouse gases. Further, 71% of deep sea ocean fish are found to have plastic inside of them. I mean, that's our food supply. That's our food chain. So we've been led to believe that it's a lack of education and proper disposal of plastics on the part of the public that creates these issues. And that is true to some extent. We need everyone to recycle. We can't stop recycling at this point. But that is only a small piece to a much larger problem solution pie. It is a band-aid to a system that's failing in most places. And though companies like Oceanworks are becoming extremely innovative in how they are collecting and reusing recycled plastic, we simply cannot keep up with it. We're we're finding amazing ways to degrade plastics in the ocean through different non-toxic chemicals. But it's still a long way off, and again, it's a band-aid to a much larger issue that we must change at the source. We must continue our recycling practices, but we also must dive deep into a long-term exit strategy away from all plastics that last longer than the products they are containing or preserving. There are very few things humans use that last 450 years. I don't know many things that anybody needs something to last 450 years, and though. You know, historical sites are important. If we don't deal with these issues quickly and proactively, we won't be healthy enough to enjoy them. The main benefit of plastics is indeed their ability to resist breakdown. But we have overshot that breakdown marker by over 450 years. Further, some plastics could technically last forever. So let's let's talk about those plastics. Let's get specific about, let's say, everyday items many of us buy every week. Pineapple juice, for instance, with its high acidic content, has a max shelf life of 24 months. Almost all soda, no matter the brand or type, has a fizz shelf life of nine months. I mean, sure, those things, the edible for human consumption items are important to protect, but arguably aren't as important to protect to, let's say, chemicals. Since the adverse effects chemicals can have on all life, if they're not transported or contained correctly, could have devastating effects on the ecosystem. You know, and everybody may not love bleach, but everybody knows bleach. Bleach begins to lose its potency after six months. It'll work after the six-month marker, but it rapidly begins to break down from there. Everything from silver nitrate to hydrofluoric acid to sulfuric acid has a shelf life of 24 months. Nitric acid, you know, propyl alcohol, 36 months. Very few chemicals there. There are some like ammonia nitrate that last five to six years. So what I'm getting at, my point is this. We're building and using fallout shelters for spring rain showers. We need to be formulating for what we're containing and protecting based on the shelf and use life, not for catch-alls. Will it make it more expensive? It doesn't really have to be. No one said we have to replace all plastics right away, but we must replace as much as possible. The argument is much like the one of self-driving cars. Self-driving cars aren't expected to never get into an accident, though some believe that's the case. They simply have to get into fewer accidents than human drivers, which they are. We're inhaling microplastics made out of petroleum. I mean, this, isn't, this is insane. It's not only creating huge consequences in our physical environments and sea life, but the health consequences it will create over 20, 30 years is unimaginable. If humanity all of a sudden decided it would eat and inhale petroleum for years on end, we'd be at a pandemic level DEFCON 5 when it comes to how we as humanity dealt and responded to the crisis. I mean, look at the big uproar over smoking and the initiatives have transpire because of the cancers it causes. I mean, I'm a smoker, but at least I signed up. Stupidly, but I still sign up. And that's the thing. No one signed up to eat, drink, and inhale petroleum and other harmful chemicals, but it's happening anyway. So why aren't we responding in the same way? I mean, do we... Do we really always have to learn everything after there is so much loss, or can we get ahead of something for once and invest in better waste management infrastructure systems and solid R and D? And this is where some of the new infrastructure budget needs to go, needs to be directed. I mean, we must change the ingredients because we are not changing consumption habits. They're only expected to grow as more people rightfully become more technologically advanced by having access to cell phones. Single use consumption is going to skyrocket.
0: Yeah, this is the the world that we live in, and I, I think there's a few things about what you've said there. I mean, firstly, I the four hundred and fifty years—it just it, it's almost comical, isn't it? The uh, extent of time, and I think more so because we we live now in a more disposable world than ever. So much of the stuff that we use is actually expected to be, you know, five minute lifespan. Um, so yeah, this this highlights the need to, not just the need, but the readiness. We're already ready to turn our back on a lot of the durability factors, a lot of that long life. But something that you've mentioned extensively there is that the, the sort of threat to human health. And I think this is important to review. The the idea that we're swallowing microplastics, we're finding microplastics in our food. What is a microplastic? Is that where a plastics failed to dis- disperse?
1: So uh, yes and no. So what happens within within a plastic, when, when plastic decomposes or it gets recycled or it gets incinerated, um, is that it ends up being exactly that, these tiny specks of microplastics. And they're, they they can be anywhere the size of like, let's say, a pinhead to the size of a BB to even smaller and smaller. And the the oceans are inundated with them. So the issue with them is that, you know, I mean, you go out on the beach and you can see, you know, where people have thrown out plastic containers. And, and this gets really annoying. Plastic bags, you see trash places. But the problem with microplastics is that they're, some of them are so small that they're in the water droplets in our air you know, they're in the rain. So it's, you know, it's not hard to figure out that when we're putting these types of chemicals into our bodies without even knowing that we're doing it by eating, bre- I mean, a credit card's weight worth of plastic, that is per week. And nobody knows it's, it's even happening. And so it's like, okay, I, and we don't really understand yet what that's going to do. I mean, we already understand what it's doing with climate change and what it's doing environmentally. I mean, we're, we're, you know, it's it's the different, it's plastics, it's carbon emissions, but we have no idea what that's going to do with us, to do to us, you know, in a 20 or 30 year time frame. You know, it's it's a big deal. And in these things, the problem is, is if we can't see them, if we can't see them with the naked eye, how can we possibly collect them, much less recycle them?
0: Yeah, that, it actually, it makes it feel as though seeing them in a big landfill would be in fact, healthier and easier to deal with than we, we are making the problem invisible by incinerating. But we're making the problem considerably worse and more difficult to clean up.
1: Right, and I, and it's not just from incineration. I think it's it's just a great it's every way that we are we are degrading them. You know, and it's uh, it's a problem. We have to change the ingredients in plastic. You know, and I, I think that's I don't think that we're going to get rid of microplastics anytime soon, if ever. So we have to really start pivoting on what we want going into our lungs into our food and what we want, you know, into our mouths. It's it's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Can I just ask, do you feel that the where we have these combinations of micro of um sorry, bioplastics and petroleum plastics that are being used in order to break them down faster is that adding to the problem?
1: uh i i don't think that it is i mean i think i think that that's a huge step forward i i I actually applaud people for for doing that and it's it's a brilliant idea um and i think a lot of that has to do with with the durability of the product um but at least we're we're sustainably minded we're stepping forward and we're trying to decompose these plastics faster but it's 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 one step when we, we need to be taking ten.
0: Yeah. We just use two such such vast scale of plastic around the globe that I suppose oh, it's yeah. yeah, it's enormous.
1: It's yeah. unbelievable. It's unbelievable.
0: So if we if we go back and imagined everything transforming from standard plastic, conventional plastic to bioplastic, is there a solution in there regarding the end of life and this waste situation?
1: Absolutely. So bioplastics offer a big solution. And no, not all bioplastics are created the same, nor are they equal. I mean, many bioplastics begin to break down in five years under the right conditions. Others could last much longer, some much shorter, which is really fantastic news because when we start talking about shelf lives, you know, we're we're not going to want the same plastics uh, with the same type of barriers. For instance, some plastics we want a microbial barrier on that that lasts longer. For instance, if we have electrical wires that are wrapped, um, we're gonna want that, that go underground. We're gonna want higher microbial level uh, barriers blockers to to stop that from decomposing too fast, right? But if we have them on single use, you know, we're we're gonna want those levels to be lower. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's fantastic news. But environmental factors they play a huge role in that time frame, just like the decomposition of all things. So how they're being handled. Are they virgin plastics or are they mixed? Are they starch based or something else? Are there additives? And what do they consist of? Are they being thrown out of a car window and left? Which, you know, they absolutely will be. You know, that's that's a given, you know, or are there places where receptacles and facilities exist? All these factors play a major role in how we move forward. It's also really important to note that just because good bioplastics are being formulated doesn't mean we won't run into other problems down the road based on their ingredients. Meaning that if we want a dominant, dependable supply chain for a massive bioplastic market, we're going to need to grow ingredients in the fastest, most sustainable way possible. If we design to fix only one major problem, no matter how admirable, honorable, and necessary that problem is to solve, like making deep cuts into plastic pollution... But we'll run into the same issues, you know, corn for ethanol farmers are running into. We're going to create very expensive issues down the road. It's all connected. Since the bioplastic market is fledging in comparison to traditional plastics, it's imperative that we, as makers, as manufacturers, as consumers, decide to get on the same page. Meaning, we will need to decide if additives that aren't 100% biodegradable are allowed or not. We're going to need to strengthen the BPI grade system from from food and agricultural oversight departments. That set standards for products who claim to be one hundred percent BPI, just like they do with GMO-free or organic certified, or or or, and apply it to front end and back end bioplastics.
0: Yeah, it sounds it sounds like there's there's a lot of variation. So that labeling, that certification, that's that's definitely that makes a lot of sense. Um, regarding recycling. Uh, it's obviously a problem in reg- r- regards to facility, but is it possible to directly recycle bioplastics?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. And conversely, another big challenge and another debate that's going around right now. Can we recycle bioplastic? The ultimate answer is a resounding yes. The three largest groups of bioplastics are PLA, PBS and PHS, or PHAs, starch-based are usually PBS and PHA strains. By consensus, appear to be the largest group, specifically corn starch, though sources not. The beautiful thing about all storage starch is that it breaks down to three basic ingredients glucose and water being dominant. Glucose is, fantastic, is a fantastic micromagnet, and it's been shown to, when it's been put into like cherry blossom soil, it makes soil. Um, it creates, the soil basically has a respiration rate that's larger. And faster. So it makes soil breathe faster, which is which is wonderful. So it has a fantastic microbial magnet and, and water, well, water, you know, of course, is fantastic for almost everything. People actually add sugar to their compost piles to inhibit faster bacterial growth to quicken decay. And though it's not recommended for smaller composting gardens that don't have appropriate containers to house their compost due to pests and their, you know, their love of sugar. Larger facilities could benefit from glucose absorption, even better when composting microorganisms. CO2 is sequestered, compost soil mulch mulch is made and it can be used to grow more plants making more, you know, amongst various things bioplastic. We have two major problems right now in bioplastic recycling that have nothing to do with specific bioplastics at all. The first is supply, the second is facilities. The plastics market is expected to grow to $1.75 trillion by 2025. The bioplastic market is only bringing in $6 billion of that market share. It has huge potential and plenty of space to grow, but to truly take advantage of a closed-loop system and benefit from all it has to offer, there must be facilities capable of handling the growth. You know, I without a doubt believe we can set up proper facilities and equipment to s- separate bioplastics from the rest you know, within the same buildings where recycling and waste management systems already exist. You know, well, bioplastics involve a standard where, where every company must add a certain ingredient that can be detected by weight, density, or likes so will involve specific, you know, inks that, that light or waste sensors can detect or belts capable of detecting density and weight specific to these plastics, maybe even micro, pool, micro pools where bioplastics will float or sink as opposed to the, you know, other plastics and waste at the waste management level. I mean, what plastic will be composted and will be considered, you know, usable quality? They can go back into raw material. What will that ingredient be? Will it be sufficient for all bioplastics? These are, you know, really big questions. Does that mean we're going to stop producing? No. We need bioplastics, and not just for the environment, but the livelihood and continued revenues farmers, specifically corn farmers, add to the economy. Right now in Washington, D.C., they're busy coming up with really incredibly good policies in terms of creating baseline living wages for farmers, which in my opinion is way long overdue, but at least it's on the table and getting strong support. But with the rise of electric cars, we won't need the same amount of ethanol we're currently producing, which is made from corn. The market is going to plummet to half of what we use, if not more. We need to begin phasing a pivot, and we've got to do it soon. So bioplastics offer a major opportunity to do that, just that. And starch-based plastics, not made from corn, which are drought and climate resistant, offer even bigger opportunities that will allow overplanted lands to heal, production to continue, no matter what climate change throws at us. If we divert those crops, we gain space, which is tough to do with corn and sugarcane, but not with the most resilient starches. Couple that with a closed system composting facility nearby, where nutrient-rich soil and mulch can be made and used. I mean really do I need to say more?
0: Yeah, it's um it, it really is about this loop, isn't it? In terms of we can't just uh from the material point of view we can have a closed loop. That's straightforward from what you're saying. That's that's certainly possible from a society point of view that then has to have that supply that facility, um, everything in place to ensure everything keeps circling round. But a question that comes to mind when you talk about the vast, vast scale of this, the, the potential of the industry, we're talking about farming plastics now to grow them out of the ground instead of uh, digging and using oil and petroleum. So it's going to put additional demand on land space. If we was to make this shift... Already we're talking about um, you know, food shortages or do we have enough space for food and the other resources that we need. So can you see that there's, there's, there's going to be a balance that we need to find or is it possible that we can fit these in alongside?
1: When it comes to land, you know, frankly, Source believes this industry should be the dominant, not the side hustle, since what Source is made from at least can also create food, Fiber, glues, paper, pharmaceuticals, skin cream, biofuel, I mean, it's really incredible. Plants that aren't regulated like cannab- cannabis is and could be a major catalyst and asset in how we will balance food, climate, economic land, you know, the economy, land, and resource insecurity. So let's talk about land space, which is only a fragment of the issues associated with the land. Not only are we facing space issues with concern to population increase, but we're also facing issues with degrading farmland due to soil erosion, poor soil conditions due to overplanting of the same crops and nitrogen starved soil, and land that has no reprieve to replenish its nutrients. To meet food insecurity and land use issues, the promise of vertical farms have come into play. We need them, but they come with a myriad of problems. We have over 30 hectares of space being allocated to vertical farms globally, and only Japan is making a positive return on investment. And, And that's not a dig at all on effort, innovation, or the amazing teams running these farms. It's simply the reality. That doesn't mean they're a bad idea. Not only are they a good idea, they are essential in the long run. But to make them efficient, further profitable, we've got to find ways to lower their energy use while creating enough profit to afford higher levels of automation. Vertical farming creates massive carbon emissions due to the high LED and energy use, which then drives produce prices much higher than traditionally grown produce. But what if we grew plants that need less water, that need less light, less nutrient dependent soil to make plastic as well? Like a side by side project, one hand washing the other, so to speak, to create a positive ROI with an abundant and needed product that turns into dollars and doesn't, and doesn't really have a massive shelf life like produce does, and in return for knowledge and the expertise of vertical farmers to balance out their bottom lines and energy consumption. Source not only believes this is possible, but plausible, and if not side by side, then on its own. It would make the most sense to partner But for the knowledge base and facility space, but if not, Source believes the ingredients it uses can be grown in the same way vertically or not. Vertically is ideal.
0: So, in terms of um, vertical farms, we're we're talking about indoor growing at this point. The idea being that we're going upwards and making it possible to produce or to have more space than just the footprint that the, the farm is stood on. So, this is indoor growing, and that's why it's so intensive regarding the light and the water we're not really growing it in the soil is that right
1: well well that that is what is happening with vertical farms now but the the really brilliant thing about about uh these these ingredients that that source uses is that you don't have to have them indoors because they are climate resilient they are less water intensive um they can handle lumen saturation but still at the same time don't need a lot of lumen saturation which potentially means that we could grow them almost anywhere in the world um and the only reason that they needed to really be vertical is because of land space and you know putting them in the middle of a place where uh the soil in the land has been overplanted or it's not the the they could be grown in places where there isn't a lot of soil you know they can be grown in places where there isn't water you know readily available, but they do not have to be inside so
0: this is the versatility of the very specific crops that you're looking to integrate into the plastics themselves instead yes. of yeah instead of sort of food and all the, the the different things that we might want to grow there's a very specific condition that these plants can manage in that other plants can't and therefore
1: it, it, correct and because produce produce you have to, you know it takes a very delicate ecosystem um, but these could be something that that did not so much
0: yeah yeah so so you foresee um, it being able to be done on a large scale and whether vertical or not verticals better because there's just more density in terms of land space correct yeah fantastic yeah um, and and we're touching here on your own um, your own specific plastics now. These are crops that you have uh, started to use in your own research and your own development. So, with your own work, this is um, this is something uh, specific to you. Just to let the audience know, this we're now talking about your own product. But could you tell us the story behind it?
1: Absolutely. And so and so the ingredients are, are from cr- these crops that that are that are already being grown um all through all throughout the world. And so a lot of the research comes from research that's that's been done for centuries and centuries. It's just that when you when you look at, at what's been done and then what the potential that could be, um, it's it's it's. it's It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. They go go together well. Uh, But yeah, I would love to. So I spent a few years picking up hundreds, if not, I mean, it was just hundreds and hundreds of pounds of recyclable plastic by hand. I didn't do it for money, not for anything, but the fact that I had traveled all over the U.S. and no matter where I went, I found discarded plastic woven into the natural landscape of almost every environment that I was in. It didn't matter whether I was camping on the side of an ocean cliff or in the mountains next to the massive redwoods. It didn't matter if I was in the desert with packs of coyotes running past my feet in cities with recycling programs or small country towns. All the landscapes and people changed, but one thing always remained the same, and that was plastic pollution. I didn't mean to, but I ended up garnering some attention for it and tried to run with it thinking it would bring more attention to the problem that maybe people would wake up. And that didn't happen at all. It actually backfired. People took it as, you know, a his thing, a spectacle, something to watch, not do themselves. I'll tell you what, that that just really, really started to make me very angry. Very, very spitfire angry. You know, I was watching animals get sick. I was watching plastic wash up on the shores during some of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen. I was watching businesses and hundreds of pounds of plastics and trash straight into the garbage. You know thank you, yoga, namaste <laughs> you know m f s was often uttered from my lips, you know, and in hindsight, I wouldn't say I'm happy that's what happened, but I can say it needed to happen uh, you know, I would get so mad that it made me dig deeper, you know, and at first, I thought it was a a people problem, then I thought it was a municipality problem, you know, lack of oversight and education, and it is you know, and it is. It made me research. It made me find ways to deal with all this plastic, how to reuse it, how to create programs that made cities money, or at least, you know, break even on creating recycling programs that worked instead of it costing money to recycle. I I ended up creating a proposal to create 3D print filament out of recycled plastic before anyone in the U.S. was doing it. And I was graced in that time with meeting a few um, amazing people, some Some people from Greenworks uh, on the East Coast, but, you know, they were just as angry and they had progressed, you know, way further along in this game. They created 501c3s and they got nowhere with them. I mean, people getting shut down with great ideas, strong break-even proposals because of politics. Then when I was on the East Coast, Baltimore's new $10 million recycling facility shut down because of the issues like bowling balls in the recycling stream. Separation overwhelmed, and then smaller recycling centers began shutting down all over the country, which is still happening. So you know, it came to you know, what's the point? What's the point in creating innovative ways of reusing this plastic if it was still going to end up in the oceans? If communities, municipalities, and the government were, weren't going to take hard stands and create real change? You know, I'm against making anything that could harm our planet, even if reuse is better than single use. And if I couldn't trust that the products made from the filament I wanted to create would be recycled, I had to find another way, like some way, anyway. It was exhausting. And I was exhausted, but the angst is a mighty, mighty beast. You know, then it occurred to me, if I couldn't change behavior, and even if I could and I couldn't change politics, then what if I could take the ball completely out of both courts? So what if behavior didn't matter? What if plastics, worst case scenarios, still ended up in oceans and landfills? What if only money talked? Could there be an additive that would degrade petroleum based plastic? Then the grim and very toxic reality of microplastics hit the scene. You know, it was just bullets. You know, Japan, by the way, has discovered a bacteria that eats PP plastics, but it's a long way off from being commercially available. And still, it's still a band aid. I mean, it's Marvel Studios with aloe kind of band aid, but it's still a band aid. You know, Japan's doing a great job. Then I found the promise of bioplastics and I was totally reignited. I mean, this was years. And this had major potential, a closed loop circular economy potential. I mean, space potential. Now, when I'm talking space, I mean, you know, Mars potential that has varying problems. So, you know, many bioplastics lasted too long or needed other mixed additives that kept them from being brittle hard to work with, which brings us back to the same sorting issues, the same pollution issues, the same band-aid thinking. So I set out to create a more durable bioplastic that could break down faster while being more durable through natural, fast-growing additives, and it worked. As the plastic showed visual and haptic differences between what was already being made and what I was making, the opportunities into how to solve so many other global issues well beyond plastic pollution, even a few for space, began unfolding. And that's exactly what source was designed to do, do we have a long way to go? You bet but this is the way
0: yeah it it sounds fantastic, so you're talking about a real solution, a plastic that does the job we need it to do and then disappears it's It's gone, it's not providing this year and year and year on stack of problems so um yeah beautiful and if and
1: that's the thing and if it and if it does go years and years and years. If it, if it breaks down into microplastics that are, that are non-toxic, um, you know, I don't think that we're going to get rid completely of the eyesores of plastics. Our consumerism is just so high that I just don't think that that's going to happen. But if we know that they're breaking down into microplastics that aren't going to make us sick, that aren't going to make our environment sick, that aren't going to hurt the oceans, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a massive win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because we've got two enormous forces at play. We have got consumerism. We have got that ever-growing trend of more and more use. And I don't think we're just going to turn around and sort of knock that on its head and say, no, no, we're going backwards. We're not going to have all of these products. But we've also, as you've just expressed, got this growing sense of passion, almost to the point of anger, at seeing the world start to degrade and actually that's becoming more apparent. And the more apparent that that becomes, the more people like yourself jump to this passion and it becomes frustrating. What you've described is sheer frustration really along the way. But we have to combine these two. We have to combine the the passion to create the change, to look after the world that we're living in but also this desire to live lives in the way that we're accustomed to and this consumerism and this product use. And I think ultimately what, what this combines into is it's the, the producers, the manufacturers, the facilities, so all of the companies that are involved. And in a lot of ways, they're having more pressure put on them there's a lot of pressure put on companies these days to be more sustainable, to be more transparent and to be more aware. But I think we're also looking at a situation where their choices are still going to be about the bottom line. They're still going to be about money and they're still going to be about what is a product that's provided that meets the needs that they're looking for, the application. So, Do bioplastics provide a solution to the company regarding costs and these other sort of priorities?
1: Absolutely. And first, um, you know, let, let me stress the importance of the time for Libyan. I've spoken to several manufacturers, people both at the top of these companies and those that work in the ranks. And from all I have listened to and researched on, inclusive of all the amazing research to perform for their 2021 manufacturing report. I believe many manufacturers have a true and real intention when it comes to sustainability within manufacturing that may have not been true in the past they may have not been as aware or maybe there were i don't I, I, I don't want to speculate there but what I do know is that you know it's not at this point at least it's not simply because of pressure. They want sustainable ways of making great products. i mean I mean that's business and they want to be able to do it. Uh, you know, at a great cost, which is good business, you know, but it's in their hearts. But without enough supply, it's a rock in a hard place situation. Yes, cost, of course, is one of the forefront issues in any business. The second biggest issue is the reliability and dependability of supply chains and vendors. So many manufacturers have admitted, and this is recently, this is in 2021 that their vetting for vendors needs a huge overhaul. But it's they who brought that to the table and are currently building new standards into their vendor vetting. That's a huge move. And they are the ones who brought those issues forward internally within their companies and have set out to solve them. Now, I'm not saying that they, they don't have a lot of people breathing down their necks about the lack of sustainability-mindedness minded mindedness in the past. But for those that I have spoken to one-on-one These are real people who who really do care about these issues. So most manufacturers have three years worth of bulk inventory on hand. So if you go to a manufacturer and you want to make a plastic part that they've been making, they have a plastic supply worth bulk inventory on hand for three years. It's how they forecast their projections and they base their sales and scale. Can they make good costs? The thing about bioplastics is that like any kind of supply and demand, when you have enough supply it it drives down demand and that drives down cost so that's why we go back to saying we need a lot more companies made making bioplastic we need waste management facilities um, that can handle these bioplastics but yes on since you're not taking fossil fuels out of the earth um when you get into production, when you get into manufacturing, when you get into the actual process of making bioplastics, it actually costs a lot less than it does uh, synthetic plastics. But because there's so many people making synthetic plastics as opposed to bioplastics, um, they're, they're about the same cost at this point.
0: Okay. So that's very promising. So at the current state, the same cost. But if the scale increased, which it has potential to do so there would be potential to drive price below what the current standards are.
1: Absolutely. Because a lot of that has to do with port fees, a lot of that has to do with with having, you know, shipment fees, things like that. But if depending on where you are and where these manufacturers are, for instance, a lot of manufacturers are talking about reshoring in the US. I don't know what's happening in the UK. But they what they were doing is they were buying their bulk product from overseas and then shipping it over. So, you know, that 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 raises greenhouse gases because of the ships, that that raises port fees, that raises, you know, all, all these different fees, you know, cargo fees, all these things that actually are built into um, these plastic prices. But but because manufacturers have become so much more sustainably sustainability minded in 2021, they're actually looking for ways to reshore at least in the US, but they need raw material to do that. And bioplastics offers a really good opportunity since they usually have a three-year supply on hand.
0: Yeah, so it's given them that transition time. It's, right. yeah, yeah, huge potential. It's like the vision's there um, and the solution is sort of within that. And it, it would just to sort of, like you said earlier, it's fledgling, it's right at the beginning, but it's, it's certainly showing enormous promise. Absolutely. Yeah. It's and, exciting. And and there's something here that we've touched on already, but something that I'd like to just sort of mention a little bit more and get a few more details. Bioplastics break down. This is the, the benefit. We can biodegrade them. But compared to me putting a plant in the composter and that breaking down and providing nutrients into the soil, that there's some differences due to the processing that's that's been taken place, all the additives that have gone in there. So are we looking at a problem with toxins potentially within the decomposed material? Um, or is this, again, dependent upon the material that we start with?
1: Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't speak for other bioplastics companies. I'd love to say no. There are no problems, no toxins, but I simply don't know. I can only speak on source bioplastic and its mission to formulate a completely non-toxic, durable bioplastic without the addition of hardening agents that aren't natural and not sustainable, which it has done from completely natural sources. The fire retardant it will use will be non-toxic, and as we vertically scale, there is no doubt that there will be hurdles in terms of creating a natural 3D print filament that is capable of being used in large-scale additive manufacturing. But that in no way means we won't accomplish our goal. Source is already well aware of what it must find and do to hit that goal. What I can say about starch and sugarcane-based bioplastics without additives, they do break down into carbohydrates. So you have nutrients there. If fungi or the likes are used in decay and composting processes, it will add even more nutrients.
0: So yeah, ultimately we are, we are throwing away a plant or we have something very close to that in, in the ambition that you've set out for.
1: Correct. There, 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 are, there are other ingredients in bioplastic, but none of them, they're, they're a way to source those ingredients naturally as opposed to synthetically and without taking from the, without taking from the earth, but actually adding to it
0: and you 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 know you mentioned things here to suggest there's there's a lot more complexity than what somebody like a layman like myself would realize that you've mentioned three d filaments or three d printing filaments so this is all the reality the practicalities of the day to day manufacture that people aren't gonna um have the scope necessarily to be to be aware of the hurdles that you're you're facing, but the fact that this work is being done, I think is, is music to many people's ears that we are heading in this direction.
1: And that's exactly it is that, I mean, people do need to understand that, you know, at, you know, large scale additive manufacturing, where, where, you know, massive 3d printers are, are going to be developed, and they are going to be very useful. And that is where, you know, you, you can't just develop more band aid solutions for what's now you have to look down, you know, what what we're going to be using in 50 years, you know, and that 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 could change significantly, too. But, you know, we we have to hit these goals by 2030 from the U.N. And it's important that we understand where the world is going in manufacturing. And it's important for makers, uh, consumers and raw material growers to understand that we have to be ready for them when they're ready, because otherwise we're just going to have the same problem. Well, it's the future of our world and it's one of the biggest it's one of the biggest products we use and it's it's the one thing that can get us away from a whole lot of fossil fuels and a whole lot of problems with climate change.
0: yeah yeah it, it is a huge I mean you've mentioned numbers here it, it sounds uh, too big for me to even imagine <laughs> the scale of how much plastic we use but it does sound like something that uh, it, it can't go under the radar it is enormous potential for improvements. Correct. Um, and we're working with nature regarding these. We're, we're touching on this uh, ability and nature's natural process to break down. And this brings me to the, the thoughts I've, I've come across f- stories where fungus is being used to break down oil spills, you know, to clean up oil spills. It has such incredible compounds or uh, ability Within nature, we have such a manner, I don't think it's, we've even scratched the surface regarding the microorganisms and the fungi and these kind of things. So if there's such promise there in terms of remediation with fungi, is there also potential for them to be explored further in the act of breaking down bioplastics?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I think so. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's interesting about the oil spills because I think they used horsehair with that and, and sucked that up. I, I learned that from Berkeley recently, um, which just blew my mind. The fact that we can use these, uh, you know, these, these different, I think there's, they said something like there's, there's so many different strains, you know, we think about our, our, our mushrooms that are going into our salads and, you know, our, we're, we're, but there, there are so many strains of these. And the fact that you can make, they're they they're so complex that you can make building blocks, true construction bricks, out of out of something like something so soft in your mind, like a mushroom. It just it it blows my mind. But yeah, so fungi okay, have have shown really great promise. I mean, remarkable, in fact. It should be considered a viable option. But I don't believe the issue is in finding dynamic potent sources of what can be used to quicken compost rate decay. I mean, air is full of spores. Simply moving compost around or forcing air through it creates heat pockets at the center that aid in faster decay. Creating microbes is easy. It's it's that the science isn't being exploited. I mean, if you're lucky enough to order a beverage from a place that uses compostable plastic cups, you'll usually find two sets of texts. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but I'm sure everyone has at least had one compostable cup so far. And the interesting thing about them is that one of those sets of texts will read certified BPI and the second will read commercially compostable only facilities may not exist in your area. You know, I can't be the only one saying to myself, well, what the hell? You know, that's no solution at all. I mean, does that mean they only degrade in a facility? And, And that's the catch. Right. So. When composting facilities do exist, what I've learned is that in these facilities, because there is such a mass amount of co- compostables upon arrival, it's put into large staging bays. So it's set up basically, you know, one through five. It's, a, it's sifted, and as decay begins to take place, it's moved to the next phase bay until you eventually arrive at a soil mixture in the last bay. You know, it's, it's, and it's, you know, it's processed. So heavy reliability on Mother Nature and 140 degrees and above temps in the middle of these piles creates the decay. You know, so it's hard to say, you know, we can do better when simply having a composting facility is a luxury. You know, like any major challenge we must overcome, just because a solid solution exists does not mean the world is ready for it. We have to catch up, but why? I mean, you know, maybe it's education, maybe, maybe the problem, you know, profit and loss, maybe. I, I don't have an answer for that you know, maybe it's the soil doesn't create enough revenue to make deeper municipal investments, or maybe it's that integrating recycling, you know, integrating recycling programs were supposed to be the answer. Yet when many plants across the country shut down due to poor, you know, due to poor recycling practices, obviously would make leaders second guess making even bigger investments into problems that seem too big to remedy, you know, at an astronomical cost. But bio-based plastics could create revenue to offset the cost of these facilities.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The when we come to a cup, um, and it says this is compostable, but only in commercial facilities. Is this dependent upon the material that it's made out of?
1: You know, I can't find an answer on that, and I, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of blown away with that too. I cannot find an answer on that, and I, you know, I assume that's because of, you know, the, you know, NDAs and all these other things. I can't find an answer on that. Um, but it's, it's, it, it seems like we're, we're, it's like the right direction, but almost.
0: Yeah. Just a little bit more clarity. Just a little, a little bit, bit, bit
1: more, but <laughs> what, what do you mean? You can only do it in a facility, you know? And that's, that's why, you know, I don't know, I don't have an answer for that, but I, do, I don't want that to be on my product and I hope that it never is.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think the ambition that it doesn't require something that's not available, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, let, let's not have that restriction there. And let's just sort of flip this the other way around and look at the absolute worst case scenario. Let's say we replace conventional plastics with bioplastics, but the bioplastics then end up at the bottom of the ocean. They end up in the verges. They end up where they're not sort of ideally placed. Are they going to break down?
1: Well, um, uh, sourceful, yes. I mean, I have what 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 the issue is that I'm having right now is is keeping it around longer. But I also haven't industrial pressed my my plastic yet, so that that's a whole new that that's going to be a whole new challenge, and and it's going to be really exciting to see what happens with that. Um, so I can't again, I can't speak for other bioplastics. I think that the point is is that. Uh, most of these bioplastics are, are star space. So yes, they will break down, um, when that will happen. I mean, that's the point of them. You know, somebody throws it out their car window. Eventually these are going to break down and not within 450 years. Um, but still, you know, there, there's a lot of questions surrounding that only compostable in a, in in a facility. And, you know, I, I'm learning as we go as well on what that exactly means. I can't answer it.
0: Yeah, I, I. I'd kind of assumed that there was uh, a durability to that particular plastic, but it sounds like it's more complicated than that. Maybe yeah. less transparent.
1: And, and, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, um, I I hope that never survives on my on any of my stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little shocked and odd. You know, I just hope that we're not going down. You know, it's like if you have this really great idea and this really great product, I just want to know a little bit more about what that means because I have the same question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, we're heading in the right direction. We've we've got the potential here. We've got the ideas and the right minds on the job, but we are talking about a huge scale shift that is oh, yeah. so many steps along the way. So it, it's going to be an interesting journey to see it unfold, I think, right. um, to it's see, see where exciting. things take us. But we are on on a sort of more I suppose breaking it down to its simplicity we're talking about a material with bioplastics that's renewable in the resource whereas the conventional plastics were depleting or we are taking from the earth and we're not putting back in so th- there's uh there's a huge benefit to that but what I I wondered if we took that one step further and we said the bioplastics are coming from plant material, we're growing this, we're potentially growing it regeneratively and building soil in the process. Do you think that there could be a positive impact on the environment from the production of bioplastics?
1: The short answer to that is yes, uh, on a big win for the environment in terms of sequestering carbon. But, you know, it's dependent on product and situation. I mean, there are there because we have at least what I'm finding, you know, bioplastics that I can't find answers to on, you know, do how long do they degrade, I, I don't want to give a resounding yes for all bioplastics. What I can say though is that yes, yeah, on a big win for the environment in terms of sequestering carbon, but again, it's totally dependent on the product and situation. Making synthetic polymers from fossil fuels creates really heavy carbon emissions from how ingredients are sourced to how they are transported, formulated, manufactured, and and the oversight. You know, it's all carbon heavy. It's it's much much higher than bioplastic production. So plants have a really brilliant CO2 source slash sink dynamic. So plants become a source of CO2 um, when they're growing with optimal nutrients like lumen saturation, nitrogen rich soil, and and plenty of water. But when you starve a plant from basic nutrients, it switches to pulling in more CO2 from the environment into its roots to create growth. So now imagine a starch source that can grow well under starved conditions, natural CO2 sink systems. This is where source bioplastic is different. The plants used are natural CO2 sinks. Then to take them into a hypothetical step further and grow these plants in vertical farms that are heavy carbon emission contributors that have the potential to offset those emissions. The other brilliant thing is that these plants not only make polymers, but food, fiber, biofuel, glues. So other starch-based bioplastics would be harder to grow inverted because of the vertical space needed for the plant to mature, like corn and sugarcane would need. So take it, take it further to compost, compost in these plastics, and you sequester even more carbon. So growing plants is additive to the earth by nature, not a subtractive approach, approach like using petroleum for traditional plastics. And since many communities all over the world burn all their trash, no matter what it is, bioplastic offers an alternative that can go into creating new soil and mulch, which also lowers greenhouse gases. So across the board, you're 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 going to see uh, a subtraction in in carbon emissions.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it- now go ahead that's just it's just sort of we're multiplying the benefits um every step that we take towards increasing the use of bioplastics
1: right absolutely i mean it's you know it's and that's the thing is if if these manufacturers are, are going to reshore their operations if we start if we're able to let's say we're able to plant uh you know, closer to these manufacturers like so what a source's bioplastics ingredients as an unprocessed raw material has a harvest shelf life of years. I mean, they can stay in the soil for years and continue to grow. So if manufacturers material supply is three years deep, that could set up a really interesting solution potential as to how a dependable supply and demand chain can be met. So the the pieces really all begin to align into this incredible problem/slash solution puzzle. And the image from all sides is really quite remarkable. But if but but take this into consideration, if we're able to plant our materials, as opposed to having to go to certain spaces to be able to pull petroleum and have it transported, then made into plastic, then made into uh and then sent to the manufacturer to be made into products if we're able to plant them and we're able to plant almost anywhere in the world you can cut the distance between the manufacturers and the plastics that are being made it, it it's it's really stepped very very well in comparison to what the traditional systems are now
0: yeah it's it's bringing a localization potential that you just could never get um with a resource that's specifically located in the ground somewhere it, it's, yeah, it brings it's, economies to
1: places that never would have them before.
0: Yes. Yeah. This is, it's actually very exciting because the more that um, we, we sort of see this more in the direction of change, we can get quite creative. Like you've just mentioned, essentially, I suppose what you're saying is your stock remains in the ground until you need
1: it. But For the most part, yes.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and, and before processing, yes. And if that's true in the sense that if it can be planted as opposed to, you know, think about how many how many small scale farmers there are in the world um, that could be farming for plastics that aren't capable of farming produce, aren't capable of farming, um, you know, plants that are are a lot more sensitive to climate change or plants that are a lot more sensitive to having copious amounts of water. It, but if you're farming for plastics instead, and not have you know, and not having to worry about uh, feeding people with it, it it opens up a lot of possibilities, a lot of freedom in farming. And we and there's people all over the world that have to worry about their crops, but this gives them another opportunity to become you know uh, smaller scale localized farmers into plastics.
0: And and I think that resilience that versatility that ability for a crop to be grown maybe it's going to be used for bioplastics maybe it's for food maybe it's you know the the fact that it can be multi-purpose that that expands the options and I think yeah it allows that creativity to sort of come into play and things to be a little more open to solutions to be found so it, it is definitely very exciting and I think also you might be scratching on a lot of problems with fresh produce where you've got locations that are quite isolated from a distribution that can get them to market very quickly.
1: That's right. And, you know, the thing is, is if you can create uh, instead a plastics economy and a, and a, and a farming culture around that, um, that could create the money to create those pipelines for for better distribution of of produce that we all, you know, that everybody needs and absolutely should have, and you know, if if you can't build it one way, um, you can always create, you know, the versatility of money to to create those systems, and that takes a, a, a legitimate cash product, and that would be that would be plastics.
0: With regards to the the plastics at source, is there a number of different crops that will be involved?
1: um the, i you know i i don't know about the fire retardant yet we're not there yet um there will be there there will be some but you know all the all the crops that would be involved um they they have the potential to create so many things that uh you know it's it, it's it's just it, it just honestly I, I i my mind is kind of blown yeah you know yeah the potential Right. And it's going to take a lot of hands on deck, but yeah, the, you know, plastics is where you start um, because it's, it's not, it's not simple. Uh, but it is, it is what is going to be needed most because uh, you know, everything else is kind of second hand when it comes to, you know, skin creams and things like that, a- anything else that you can make. And you need a lot bigger lab equipment. You need bigger chemical teams. You need all the, for, for these other products, but for plastics, um, you know, you, you they can be made fairly easily.
0: Is the manufacturing quite easy then? Um, is it input heavy to make a bioplastic?
1: Um, I don't think it's input heavy, but if you want to do mass scale, and if we're talking about really being graded on a BPI level, um, there's a once testing happens, then replication can happen. Once replication can happen, then it's really about. Um, just distribution, you know, and, and finding your customer. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's not very hard. And then, you you know, of course you use the ingredients from the plants that are being grown all over the world already. And then you take out those, those people that are making them and you start to make your own to obviously bring down your own business costs. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not as hard as, as, you know, making biofuel.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I, I imagine that something we haven't touched on is the comparison of like a plastics factory, sort of on a conventional sense, We're we're, we're going to have to locate that somewhere where it's out of domestic um, constraints, because there's a lot of fumes and a lot of nasty stuff going on there. But it sounds more like if we're making bioplastics, this is, this is a little less noxious.
1: Uh yeah, it, it it absolutely should be, um, you know, and I, you, you know you have large scale dryers, and you have you have all these things, but you know, ultimately, if you're if you're not dealing with chemicals, um, it definitely does make things less noxious.
0: A source at the moment is your ambition to focus on bioplastics for the use of a specific, um, say, for packaging, uh, for something you you mentioned for the. The the ultimate thing that we need uh, most priority on is single use products. Is that where you're focusing? Uh,
1: uh, f- f- focusing on on pellets, um, films and, and things are interesting. There's a lot of people working with films, but I think pellet form is is probably going to be our, our our first and biggest step, and then moving probably more into uh, filament only because you know it's it's market positioning but you know films are amazing and it's you know if it can be made you know we don't i have no idea yet if it can be made into a film we just simply do not have the equipment to do that um and it's just not not the focus um you know and the thing with with pellets is that um anybody can take them they can buy them and they can hopefully do what they want with them we're just not at that step yet we're we are you know this company was started in 2020 we have a long long way to go
0: yeah no it's uh it sounds like an exciting way ahead as well and
1: yeah long long way to go
0: (laughs) you've got uh that that (laughs) That stage where it's, you know, it's bursting with uh, yeah, so it, much it, to it, get going. It's Don't so know much where potential <laughs> and,
1: and so many pitfalls. <laughs> so many pitfalls to go, you know. Yeah,
0: so many adventures. <laughs> Keep <Absolutely>. it positive. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Absolutely. So, no, I, I, um, it's, it's been a very fascinating discussion. I've, I've learned a lot. It's, it's, I think it's, a, it's an industry that leaves an awful lot of questions and you've answered so many of them for me, um, so I'm really, really grateful for that. And
1: yeah, absolutely, thank you for your time, Ellen. I, I really enjoyed this as well.
0: No, thank you. It's it's been um, yeah, like I say, wonderful to learn not just about the plastics, but also about what you're doing, which sounds like a, it has the right mindset behind it. If I was making a bioplastics firm, I would I would certainly be looking for some of the ambitions that you're that you're taking on in terms of the, the, the you know, the you no know, toxins, keeping it all natural, uh, degrading quickly. It's very exciting stuff, very interesting stuff. And what's the next step for you?
1: Uh, thank you so much, Julie. Uh, so the next steps for Source, you know, proving all these bold claims I've made. I mean, talk is cheap, you know, third party testing is next, results matter, but but I'm confident, you know, then likely equity funding.
0: I wish you all the luck in, in everything going forward. It sounds exciting.
1: Uh, Helen, thanks so much.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Carbon. Next time, we'll be joined by Lara Hussein for a wonderfully inspirational talk on the Waste Lab, a business that is demonstrating the power in the simple with their collection and composting initiative in Dubai. You can keep up to date with everything from We Are Carbon by subscribing on the website, or following along on Instagram. Search for wearecarbon.earth. And let's keep figuring this all out together.